Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Ayafna Podcast. We are so excited to actually be starting this, and we are so honored that our very first guest is none other than Rav Jeremy Tibbetts. I'm very excited for this conversation because Jeremy is the coolest person ever, so you'll find out lots more about him when we start. But just for context, Jeremy is currently the Director of Student Leadership at Yavna. He lives in Baca, Jerusalem with his incredible wife, their son Yadidia, and of course their really cute dog, Rosie. And Jeremy majored in public health and then basically got the job with Yavna right after college. So we'll hear more about that soon. It's great to be here. It's my first podcast. It's very exciting. It's our first podcast as well, and we're we're buzzing to be here. Well, Jerry, we want to hear about Yavna's history, Yavna's story. And the Yavna we know today is Yavna version 2.0. Tell us about the Yavna movement that began in the 1960s. I love to start there. That's a great starting point for us. The Yavna that we know now, like you said, has a storied history. It existed before any of us. Basically, this is how it began. We're talking back in the in the 1950s and the 1960s. A lot of things in the world were changing. You know, there were the Beatles, uh, Vietnam, all that kind of stuff. One of the changes that was happening, I assume not related to those, is that for the first time in significant numbers, Orthodox students started going to secular college campuses. And what did they find when they got there? Nobody like them had really been to those campuses and invested significantly in local resources there. So they showed up to these campuses, campuses that today some of them have hundreds potentially even thousands of Orthodox students. And when they showed up at places like Columbia, Queens, NYU, Maryland, et cetera, et cetera, what did they find? No kosher food options necessarily on campus, no exemptions for Jewish holidays necessarily on campus, no Orthodox infrastructure, rabbinic advising at all on campus. What are they going to do? They chose this college. This is where they wanted to be. They didn't really have an option. There didn't seem to be an organization at the time that wanted to invest and actually help them solve these problems and build these resources on campus. So having nowhere else to turn, they turned to each other. You know, they went to the same high school, these people, they went to the same summer camp as these people, and they called up their friends. They basically said, this is what we're working on in our campus. What are you working on in our campus? Let's all get working and let's try to make some of this stuff happen. And then as they started to get these wins, then they started to have something really serious to offer each other, right? I'm at the University of Maryland and I got kosher, I got a kosher meal plan on campus through the dining hall. And you are at Columbia and you got off for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Let's talk about how we did that. Let's share these kind of best practices with each other. And let's enrich both of our local campus lives. Amidst that, people began getting connected with people they didn't know before, right? I'm on the phone with my friend from Columbia and they say, well, I went to summer camp with somebody who's at NYU and they just got, you know, a local show rabbi who's going to come teach once a week. I'm just making these up, but this is basically how it went. And through that and through the connections that they made, they started to see that there was this amazing, amazing movement of young people all in the same space, all looking for the same things and working on the same things at the same time. They said, we have to all meet each other. We have to get together. And so they created basically this network for each other. And at first, the idea was just they would meet each other and, and it would be kind of fun. And then really that started to become a central piece of the whole Yavna organization. It had some really big wins. Rav Soloveitchik would, would come speak at their Shabbatunim. Rav Adam Lichtenstein would come speak at a lot of their Shabbatunim. Rav Blau was very involved in Yavna at one point. Um, I forget if he was the president or if he was like the like an advisor for it. Um, but, but so many people today who we know of as um, important Jewish leaders in the Orthodox space were part of it. And they did have some really serious wins. And there's something really powerful about this, and it'll bridge into how I want to speak about Yavna 2.0. 
but they had some serious wins that had a huge impact on the Orthodox world. For example, the first gap year program was one through Yavna. It was a partnership with Yeshivat Merkaz Harav. Yeah, it was started as a summer program. I mean, now, now we've picked up the summer programs as well, as, as some of you know, but um, it started as a summer program and then it turned into a year-long partnership. Um, before there were there were large-scale translations of Svarim into English, Yavna was doing it and they were putting out journals and and ventures and all that kind of stuff. Um, this one I think is the craziest because you would never think this has to be invented, but Yavna is credited. There's a historian who wrote a book about it, so it's not my my call, it's somebody else's call. Yavna is credited with inventing source sheets that basically people would come together at these conferences. They would give their best shirim to each other. And the idea was normally a, a shir would be like, you know, when a professor lectures in, in a class, they have their own notes, they say things, and maybe they have a little visual aid or a little something they draw, but really you're just listening. But then they decided, what if we share the sources with you live so that you can bring this back to your campus? Thus, source sheets were born. What I think is so powerful about this story is that it's not that these resources were made by somebody who was outside of the college space saying, this is what young people are the next generation needs. This was young people who came together and said, we're the next generation. We can see what's coming on the horizon. We want to get involved and we want to get this done. Try to imagine today orthodoxy without gap years source sheets, arts profile time style. It's a different, it's a different thing. So that, that's a little bit about some of the successes and the great kind of stuff about the old Yavna. Eventually, because their main goal always remained building those local resources, once they had really done that on a number of campuses, eventually that Yavna kind of petered out. Um, and that's where we pick up. Amazing. Fantastic. And so tell us kind of where do we pick up? What happened in the, in the 2010s where Yavna 2.0 comes? Tell us the story of Yavna and, and, and your role within it. What a story. So maybe I'll tell a little bit about Yavna and then, and then where I kind of come in. So I think one of the things that comes out of this story that, that we just told is this is a this is a time-tested method that we have of how to create long-lasting change that's deeply positive and impactful in the Orthodox world, is to take young people who can anticipate the problems of the next generation and build something at this stage where they're at to try to address them. The idea was, what if we take that layer of Yavna? There are campuses that still need some of the support locally when it comes to resources and that kind of stuff. But what if we take that layer of Yavna and we make that kind of the core where we help students develop that kind of entrepreneurial, innovative, program-centric, scalable kind of stuff. So that was the idea. Essentially, um, Yavna began through a few different avenues. First of all, there was Mizrahi who had kind of acquired Yavna and, you know, Mizrahi being the umbrella of Bnei Akiva, and they had a whole interest in getting into the college space. And then at the OU, through who are now my colleagues, Rabbi Hart Levine, Rabbi Jonathan Shulman, Rabbi Elon Haber, and others were all working on kind of this space as well. So first there was Heart to Heart, right, which was hosting of Shabbat meals on campuses, giving, getting students to host for each other. And then there was Kahal, which was a program run through JLIC. It, it um, ended up being like the prototype for Yavna, where it was basically focused on campuses that didn't have JLIC, fostering student leadership and peer-to-peer community organizing. And so the idea of Yavna is what if we can scale that out and build a leadership network for all of these students that's not restricted to basically where you end up, because people end up on campuses for so many reasons. You have a JLIC, you don't have a JLIC, that's not going to determine if you have the ability to be a strong leader, and it's not going to determine your value to Claudia Israel for the rest of your life. So that was where the kind of initial idea of Yavna came from to, to kind of rebrand it and rebuild it in this way. As for me, I had my whole kind of life journey, we don't have to talk about my life journey too much, but I I didn't grow up uh, Orthodox, and I had this kind of, you know, since the age of 11, this this kind of deep desire to get into orthodoxy. And I tried to keep kosher and secret for my family and they found out and it was a whole mess. And, and you know, the, the thread that was kind of running through for me was always really about access and about accessibility of this kind of Jewish leadership stuff. 
when I got to UMass after I had to, I convinced my parents let me go on a gap year. I did a semester at Hebrew University and then six months at Yeshiva Malikabah. And I came back to UMass and I was like, Torah, I finally got some Torah in me. Let's get more Torah. And I went to the UMass community and I was like, let's learn Torah. And they were like, no, we don't really, we don't do that here. And I was like, what are you talking about? Why don't we? And so at first that actually kind of alienated me from the community. This is like a good lesson when it comes to campus stuff in general is to not put too much on the first impression. Cause I had a bad first impression of that Jewish community and it really pushed me away from it for like a year. But then when I did end up getting involved, it was very clear from the start, like I was gonna be doing some of that Jewish educational stuff. All of that journey began for me. I gave a really, really intentionally Harif uh, Dvar Torah about Cain and Abel. I'm not going to say it on the recording, but I give a very, this is where I was at when I was, when I was 19. I give a very Harif Dvar Torah about it and everybody was upset at me. And then I said to them, if you don't think that's true, then come back tomorrow and we'll read it inside and you'll prove to me that it's not true. And 15 people came and it was really, really great. But you you can do that in like Brashit. You can't really do that in like Bayekra as easily. So over time, the whole thing kind of like, petered out. But the thing that remained is I was like, oh, we can do learning. And so that journey continued for me. And I was really like kind of excited about pursuing those opportunities. And it ended up that I really became, um, thank God, one of the kind of like cores of the UMass Jewish community. My JLIC at the time, the JLIC couple there, the Eisens, they left before my senior year and they were continuing to do some work for the OU in Boston. And basically right when I was starting to graduate, I had figured out I wanted to work in the Jewish world. It took me years and years to figure out that I wanted to work in the Jewish world and that that was legitimate. But once I knew I was like looking for a job, I was talking to this organization, that organization. And finally, my um, old JLIC couple sent me a message. They said, hey, we have this new program that's opening. It's called Yavna. They're they're accepting, you know, applications of people who can speak to now. Why don't you talk to Rabbi Jonathan Shulman and just see if it could be Shaya? And so I said, yeah, it's crazy because now Rabbi Shulman's like one of my best friends in the whole world. So it's crazy. It was a very fateful call. But basically that call turned into a series of 10 different phone interviews that I had with various people within the OU. They were very interested in what this program would look like. And, you know, I was basically, they were looking for somebody who was going to be the heart of the thing. They were going to be the only full-time employee. They were going to have to come up with the vision. They were going to have to do the legwork. They were going to have to go to all the campuses, plan the Shabbatones. Wow. And also at the end of the year, they could sleep. And I was like, I have nothing to lose. I have nothing going on. Let's, let's do it. So after all of that, I, um, it was about a week and a half before I graduated. And I get an email from Robert Jonathan Shulman saying, hey, we want to offer you the job. Are you available to go to Israel in two weeks? And I was like, yeah, I mean, my diploma will just have arrived. That'll be perfect. And so um, I graduated, changed out of my robes, put my suit on, and then basically flew right away to Israel. The, and the official launch of Yavna was at, there was an event because it was the 50th or 60th year of Yom Yerushalayim in this in 2017 so uh, that was the kickoff of the program they gathered 700 gap year students 350 yeshiva students and 350 mutual students some in the morning some in the evening and that's where they kicked off the program that was my first day of work and that was the first day of yavna they had me up on this dais i didn't have to talk but they rabbi, rabbi shaman was up there and he was just like this is yavna and it's gonna be happening and everyone was like okay like Okay. And then I got off the dais and then Rabbi Sachs got up and spoke. And then everyone was like, okay, now actually something real is happening. And then we like ran a Shabbaton in Israel. And then basically I spent the summer just trying to like recruit between gap year and JLIC connections and that kind of stuff. That's what led to our first cohort. So that's a little bit of how like the whole thing kind of kicked off and snowballed into existence. Wow. 
Some of those things I knew and some I didn't. You told me this summer that you got the job straight from college, but I didn't realize you were like very fresh. Two weeks is nothing. And then Rabbi Sachs. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was a real challenge um, personally, you know, like everyone has their own struggle with imposter syndrome and all that. I mean, in our first cohort, there were students who were older than me, you know, they were still in college, but but who were actually older than me. And it was a real challenge to try to figure out how am I going to walk this line of I'm coming at it from a little bit of that peer space because I was just in this, but also like I'm here to be a staff member and I'm going to ask things of people and like it has to work that way. And and the truth is, especially in the first year, and this is something that was hard, but was important to come to terms with, like not everybody wanted to connect with me. Some people said to me like, Jeremy, you seem great. Love that this exists. I'm not sure that you're the person who's going to mentor me because we're a little too close in age stage, all of that. And that, that can be hard as like an individual who is also for me, it was like, I'm always trying to bring the positivity and the passion and all of that. But it was, I think it was, it was really good for me to kind of go through that and, and kind of learn that. And also just to be able to say like, if this program is really about serving all of your needs, then the best thing I can do for you is get you a mentor you're going to connect with, even if that's not me. Jeremy, something that you kind of touched on that I really appreciate about Yavna is Yavna understands that the students at that particular campus, so for me, it's Binghamton, Zev, it's Maryland, et cetera, et cetera. We are the experts of our community. So we know what's going to work, what we need, what's not going to work. So I think that's really, really powerful and part of the grassroots movement of the students are the experts and the staff is there to support us. Yeah. One of the things that challenged me in my campus leadership work was sometimes you would partner with an organization or an individual or whatever it was, and they would come to you and they would say, run this program. And this is what you need to do to be successful on campus. And sometimes I would go back to them and I would be like, this, this program isn't exactly fit. We need to tailor it a little bit. And, and, and it's not to make it really have the UMass kind of taste that the UMass feel, it really needs to look a little bit more like this. And, and not every program was open to that. Some programs were, some programs were not. But that was one of the things that I was always encouraged to do from our, from like kind of my staff mentors and also from my personal mentors is harness the experiences you had and use them as learning moments where you can then give your constituents that something, whatever it is that they need, right? So based off of that, we were like, we don't need, and we also are not going to effectively go to people from 30 odd campuses and tell them what's up at their, at their campus. Like, I, I remember saying that a lot when I had my first campus coffee dates. My first campus visit was to Boston, I went to Harvard, Brandeis, and BU. And I was like a broken record. I was like, if, if you've gone to the school for a week, you already know it better than me. And I grew up in Boston. I had been to all those schools before. But, but to know what's really going on, the intricacies, the dynamics, what's the hot button issues and all that kind of stuff, you don't know what you're walking into. And so for us, I think the idea of having those kind of students at the forefront, not only was it that kind of effective, like tactic in terms of doing things successfully, but it also, again, harnessing that experience just turned into what had to be a fundamental part of the model. If we want you all to be successful, you have to actually be able to work in your zone and do things your way. Yeah, I think that's such an important part of at least my Yavna experience has been that belief in that agency that kind of the students are, are drive, really driving the, the mission and the initiatives. To kind of return back to this Yavna story, we've heard about the Yavna of the 50s and the 60s and this network of student students finding each other. And then the, this Yavna rebirth of this big event in the, and of course, the early days of the famous quote, what is Yavna figuring this out and kind of what this is and what this can be. T take us from, from that first cohort to where we are now, five, six years later, what's what's developed? What's changed? How has Yavna kind of come into its own and, and how you see it? Let's see that. Great questions. First, a little bit of the history. So I remember this really clearly, my first Yavna pitch, like my first day working at the job was at this Yom Yerushalayim event. My first day alone on the job 
was I was basically sent to go pitch the program at a bunch of gap year programs. So I showed up at MTVA. They weren't in the building they're in now. They were in an older building. And I had to pitch a program that didn't exist. It, we hadn't had the time to talk about it yet. We didn't know what it was going to be. We had some basic ideas and we knew, again, harnessing this kind of thing about um, student empowerment and all of that. But I really remember pitching it. And part of the pitch was this idea, you all are going to get to shape what this program looks like. And you're going to have this immense power to um, build out what this is going to be for, for you know generations as far as college students are concerned for these kind of different cohorts and all of that. And about halfway through the pitch, I stopped and I was like, am I doing okay? Is this all right? Is this is this interesting? <laughs> and everyone's just like, yeah. I was like, should I keep going? And the teachers in the back were like, keep going, keep going. <laughs> it's like that, so that's that's where we were at at first. Like, like we we that question of what is Yavna, like that was a question that the staff had at first that we still were figuring out as we went. But we did have a deep belief, and this is something that's permeated permeated Yavna, I think, from the beginning and continues to be a, th- a common thread through the work we do today, is the belief that getting the right people in the room is um, the most important ingredient to success. Is that if we can get the right people who share the passion, who share the vision, who want to do something that's going to be big, from there, you can basically work with anything. So we ended up through that summer, we got our cohort, we had our first Shabbaton. And the truth is, we we pitched it to the students. We basically, we did a little bit of training about, you know, kind of the self and the campus and all that kind of stuff. And then... At, after Shabbat ended, like Motzei Shabbat, I ran, this was a big pedagogical mistake. I ran a two hour consensus building session to write Yavna's mission statement. People who were there, people were groaning by the end. We've heard about this. <laughs> this is what I did. I, yeah, you heard about it, I'm sure. And this was my pedagogical mistake. I gave people a list of 30 values and then I had them pair up and they had to cross out 15. And then I had pairs pair up and they had to whittle down the list by half again and then pair up again and then by half again. And then I, this all took like, again, almost two hours. And then people were down to like the top six. And then I was like, okay, do it again. And everyone was like, oh no. And finally we were just like, okay, yeah, you're right. No, but that's how these Yavna core values were actually made through consensus building with 70 students or so who actually said, these are the things that we see as the most critical. And then every year when we review the mission statement, like we're bringing it back to values and a mission, not that we wrote, but that we basically handed over to, to students and just were like, you pick these values. And then it was a student committee that basically digested that between our fall and spring Shabbaton and turned it into our mission statement. That was basically how, how that stuff was written. Like we really felt, we knew, I think that, that there was going to have to be some development coming from the staff. We knew that the language of values and the language of uh, movement would come from us at first. But we knew that that would be basically something that if we had the right group, the students would would see the importance of and would basically take on as their own. And then we could just kind of watch it grow and flourish. So that's what happened between the fall and spring Shabbaton from the student side. From my side, my first year in Yavna, I had an apartment in Washington Heights and I spent more time. This is actually true by the numbers. I spent more time out of New York than in it. That was my first year in Yavna. I visited in my first year, I think, 28 campuses. I went all over. Yeah, I drove from South Carolina down to Miami. I, yeah, it was really crazy. Um, I mean, at that point, it was just like, the goal was just basically to make as big of a splash as possible and just to get the word out. That was how I always saw my role as a staff member. It was two jobs. One, I'm here to help um, the students and the OU keep a common language, communicate with each other their needs, their, their desires, and basically help bring these two together. And then simultaneously to just be going around spreading the good word. 
I would show up to a campus sometimes and I would be like to our Yavna fellows and to if there were staff members there, I knew I'd just be like, I will meet with literally anybody, anybody who is a student. I will meet with them. I want to hear their perspective. I want to know what's going on. And the truth is a lot of these experiences that I had, and I'll speak about this more, a lot of the experiences that I had ended up turning into what we wanted the students to have as their own experiences. And so this is part of how we ended up building some of this curriculum. So after that first year, I went on this whirlwind tour of all the campuses. And then at our spring Shabbaton, we had the mission statement pitched. We wrapped up our year. And in the very end, we gave, you know, the pump up speech. And we were so excited and all this stuff. And then we were like, okay, it's time for the people who want to, to take responsibility for building this. We want to have a conversation about building a national board. Everyone who wants to do that, come to this room. Everybody who wants to talk about their local campuses, go to this room. And we split up. And that's how the national board was born. It was basically 12 people in a room who had been through a year of Yavna. Some of those people helped, again, with crafting this mission statement and with this kind of stuff with values. And basically that formed the initial board. The truth is that through different projects, JLIC had been trying to form a student board for a number of years, but it just hadn't clicked. Something had been had, had not just fully carried through and either it would dissolve over the summer or they couldn't get the interest or that kind of stuff. And Yavna, just everything came together, was exactly the perfect sauce. And this board now, I mean, has evolved into this whole national board structure that, that Yavna has today. From that first year, there's a few things that we learned. One, that we have an educational framework, which is we start with the self. We let people explore their passions. We make it about your own growth as well. Two, right, that second concentric circle, the campus. How am I bridging between myself and what's going on on my campus? And then number three, the larger community. How am I creating something that's scalable, that can have an impact on, on what's going on in the Jewish world? It's informed by what's going on in the Jewish world as well. And so that organizational kind of pedagogical model was crystallized in year one. The national board was created in year one. And the basic idea that we basically want people to be able to assess their own communities and that we're going to provide resources for people so that they can get a better sense of what's going on, get an understanding through this network of what are the different things they can try to do, and then basically just hit the ground running with that. And that we're basically bringing people to the top of the of the roller coaster, like we're helping them get there. And then it's their job to kind of ride the whole thing out and we're there to support. So that model kind of started in year one. Year two was like, I mean, it was all transitions because year one, you're just figuring out what's going on. So year two, we were like, well, maybe we need to tweak this, we need to tweak that. We had a whole different like curriculum and how it all looked. And, you know, that was really crazy. One of the things that always was really strong for us was our Shabbatunim. It was never really, I mean, we've tweaked them here and there, but but when we, again, if you get the right people in the room, it's really good. It's taken us a long time to figure out what to do for, you know, our multi-year students and that kind of stuff that really solidified, I think, in year three. But that was like the journey of the first two or three years was just like establishing it. Do people know about it? And then like, can people use it successfully? And that was what we built basically, I think, right when coronavirus started. It's like up until that, it had been, I guess, just under three years. We'd finally figured out we're going to do our Israel trip at this date and it's going to be this long and like figuring all that out. Um, and then the coronavirus hit and then we were just like, what happens now? Because on the one hand, we were totally unprepared for it, like the entire universe was. But on the other hand, our model was really great for it because we weren't requiring anything of students other than they do something that's context specific on their campuses. So in that regard, our training just became a little bit more about how do you do something creative with what you have and how do you create these kind of meaningful experiences and less like doing things in person. But but in that regard, I think our model was really, really good for it. And students did still feel there was a need. We actually had a Shabbaton in Teaneck, I think two weeks before coronavirus. 
or maybe even it was at Queens and like it was like a couple of days before. It was like we really had a whole year we we're going to launch these regional Shabbatones and then it got really crazy. So that was like the start of coronavirus. And then I guess that was the first three years. By year four, then it was like time Emily and I were making Aliyah. That's when Gracie came on onto the scene um, from the staff side. And that's also when we kind of launched like Yavna Bait because we had now after four years, right? Somebody who joined Yavna as a freshman was now about to graduate. So that's when we launched kind of this alumni program and seeing those needs. And now like, I mean, Gracie has just built out the thing so amazingly. Like there's all these regions now. Yeah, there's all these regions now. And like, they have these people who are in charge of them. And like, the system was always just built in this way. This I think is the biggest, maybe Kiddush in some way of what Gracie has done. I mean, there's there's really so many, but when you have an organization the way that it was built with us, where there's really only one full-time staff person and they know everything, then you're actually really not set up for success because that person leaves and then they take everything with them or the relationships they built, they have to really be about the organization, not about them. And so, you know, I stayed on part-time and like helped with that, but Grace didn't really need my help with so much. But but I think one of the one of the pieces of genius that she brought to the whole thing was finding a way, how do we take some of these things that we were doing informally and really institutionalize them? And now a lot more things are written down. What is Yavna is now a question that we use pedagogically. It's not a question that we're asking, hoping somebody will be able to answer it for us. That's also part of that evolution and, and all of that. Um, but that's, that's I think, where it's at now. And then my role like is really great. I just get to do the fun stuff. I work with some gap year students now and you know try to get them ready for the campus experience. And I you know, come to Shabbatones, talk to some fun students, all of that. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. It's it's crazy. Yavna started really not that long ago. And by the way, I don't know if you knew this, but Zev and I started that COVID year. We both only started with Yavna our sophomore year. So I don't know. I, I feel like you should consider that a success because I would say we're like pretty involved. I mean, we started a Yavna podcast, which by the way, this idea came from a Shabbaton, right? Shabbos afternoon, Zev mentioned something. And I'm like, wait, this sounds fantastic. And then a few days later, I texted him. I was like, wait, so like, actually, let's do it. He's like, great, let's actually do it. So if I had to say, I would say that Yavna through COVID was successful. Amazing. I'm taking it to the bank, y'all. I love that. So you gave us that really awesome history of Yavna from now going back a few years to when it really started, when, when you took over. But where do you see it going the next five, 10 years? Whoa, great question. I want to say... It's so amazing. We work with people who have such great vision. I went back in my Google Drive. I thought I was like, so cool. I went back in my Google Drive and I was like, wow, 2021, I did this last year. And I was like, I wrote down a bunch of ideas and then a bunch of them ended up actually happening. And I didn't even remember. I was like, that's crazy. I'm basically a prophet. And then I told Rabbi Shon about it. Rabbi Shon was like, oh, Jeremy, he pulled up a document from 2015 that basically predicted all of this. And I was like, what? How is that possible? But it's just, first of all, just in terms of that vision, I think we like to think that we're that we're trying to always kind of build that out. In terms of what I see as, I don't know, what's going to happen or what I hope happens or, you know, what would be the natural next steps, I guess. I think that people don't really understand that in terms of like the fellowship, Yavna doesn't have, people kind of think sometimes like, oh, like Yavna, I'll apply, I'll get in, whatever. And the truth is like the amount of spots that we have versus the amount of people who want and could gain from Yavna, the ratio is so crazy. Like, you know, the acceptance rate is not nearly, I think, as high as it could be if there were more resources and all that, obviously. So I was working towards that. But one of the things that has always been a vision of mine is that our fellowship model is not going to be the only pipeline into Yavna. 
when I think of Yavna as a movement and what that really means, I think that it means that anybody who's on a college campus who's working in the Orthodox framework or who's, you know, involved in the Jewish community and trying to build it in a really serious way has something to gain from Yavna. And that's on the deepest level because Yavna is a collective of students who are always building and sharpening their best practices. And that's really the thing that people, I think, connect to more than anything. Before Yavna and Kahal, they did a um, Shabbaton. They had a very high profile speaker. I'm not going to say who it was because I don't want to say anything. It's not bad, obviously. But but basically, like they had like a world class speaker, like a world class Jewish speaker, somebody whose name like everybody knows. And the biggest feedback after the Shabbaton was, we wish we had more time to network with each other. And I think that's so instructive because what you all have to offer each other is something that Yavin has created that it's true. You really can't get it anywhere else. So I think the the ideal that that could be built out in my mind is the fellowship is one avenue into Yavna, but it's not the only avenue. And this is this is starting now, but that there's a myriad of, of kind of uh, doorways into Yavna. And that will really, that Yavna experience about is, is it's about that movement. Um, I always dreamed of Yavna Summit, that we have like a Shabbaton that's like, you know, APEC style, maybe not 5,000 people, maybe not having presidential candidates at it, but you know, we have like a huge Shabbaton where you all can see for each other, just your power. Every year, I feel like I, I have to like at the show team just be like, wow, like, do you all see what you built? Because it just keeps growing and getting bigger and such a testament to your success, to all of you as the as the students who just keep bringing that energy and that power and, and these kind of home run programs. So that's, I think, one of my like visions of what Yavna could look like then. I think that Yavna hasn't really tapped in yet into how to connect with people who are pre-college. So gap year, we're building this out always, um, but the high schools like... I think there's an immense, immense opportunity for college students to help prepare high school students for this. I think that sometimes the information that people are being told versus the information that's on the ground can be a mismatch. And just to hear like what you all already know, which is with the right commitment and with the right setup, and maybe also by being involved in Yalta, college is not only a, not a place where you're going to lose it all, but it can be an opportunity where you can even grow spiritually and you can grow religiously and you can have all that. Fantastic. Uh, Jeremy, so like, it's always inspiring to, to hear you talk and you articulate such a vision, such a, you, you're such a big ideas kind of thinker. And that's really like, you can really see that, that in the, in the history of Yavna. And I feel like this in the, in organizations like this, the, the visionary can often, and you have this vision and it can come kind of head to head, but you also want to include students being to drive this. And of course, you've, you, you spoke about how, how important that is to Yavna, putting the students front and center. So I sh- we're thinking about kind of, is there an example where you kind of had had this great vision and you, you really thought this is going to be it? And then you get on the ground and you meet students and they're like, no, 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 no. it's got to be this way. And you're like, oh, and you and you learn from that. Is there, is there, can you think of an example where that happened? Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, so the truth is there's a few examples that come to mind. I don't know. We'll see if I'm able to share them all. One example that comes to mind is we have a program now through Yavna, the Shabbat project, right? It's basically students from a a variety of campuses, basically choose a campus that has a need to kind of have a little extra ruach, kind of build up, beef up that Shabbat experience. And they basically build a relationship with that campus. They go Right. More than once, they're in touch with those students and they basically bring the Ruach. And the idea is that they help students on that campus basically help them build up their community more by having these kind of high profile, meaningful experiences. So the first time that we did that, to give you an idea, one of the ways that I recruited for Yavna is I, I got a map of the United States of America and I got like um like putty, like a little like Play-Doh thing. And I went to a few like NCSY um, advisor nights and I put out the map on a table. 
I didn't have any resources because we didn't have a logo. We didn't have, uh, you know, any brand recognition at all. I just had a map and putty. And I would just like kind of yell at people to like come over. I would just be like, oh, like come check, whatever. And I would basically give them a piece of putty. And I'd be like, put this, if you could go visit a college anywhere in the United States, where would you want to go? And then they would put the piece on the map. And I was like, what if we could send you there? And people were like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I'm from this thing called the Alvin. And then I would get them to sign up and, and whatever. And that's actually how Neema Pollock, who was one of the founders of the Shabbat Project. Yavna legend. Exactly. And is like at the at the core of everything we're doing with Yavna Bite, basically got involved. And so at first, my idea was basically, let's just do a mini Shabbaton. Let's just bring the students there. They'll get a sense of what it's like on the campus and it'll be fun. So we sent a group of students to Hopkins. A bunch of them were from like Stern and YU and from a few other places. And basically... It was, uh, it was a little bit of a disaster. First of all, there was a huge blizzard and they all arrived like on Shabbat. And like one of the students was like, oh, I'm in this like Hilchot Shabbat class at Stern. I know what to do. And like, it just, things started to get really crazy and then they couldn't find their hosts. And then like, when they got there, they were just like, what, what do we do? We just go to the things they're already doing. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And so then afterwards, like, they called us and they were like, Jeremy, I was at like um, University of Illinois. I was like helping get this whole like weekend event off for them. And there was a bar mitzvah and they're calling me Motzei Shabbat. And they're like, Jeremy, this was like a crazy this was a disaster. And I was like, okay, well at least go get pizza. So then, <laughs> so I, I just kind of thought like, cause sometimes I think one of the things I've learned about myself through doing this work is I'm a very, um, I'm very intuitive in how I do this work. Maybe let me say it differently. Sometimes trying to plan it and think it through beforehand to the T stifles me and I kind of need to be adaptable and in the room where I'm doing things. Obviously that has its limits, but <clears throat> it's just one of the things I know about myself. And inadvertently, I kind of imposed that on these students because they were basically like, no, like we need structure. Like we have no reason to be here. We're just visiting. It's like visiting your friends, but you don't have friends. And like they all, <laughs> they're just like hanging out. So at the end, they all became very close bonding through <laughs> this slightly traumatic experience. But then they came back to us and they were like, never again like this. And I was like, okay. I hear that. I get that. Um, what do you think it should be? And then basically that's that planted the seeds for this kind of whole thing where they were targeting specific campuses and they were creating their own kind of programs while they were there. And then the idea came, well, this is actually really going to have to be a longer term partnership where we're going back more than once maybe and really trying to help create something on the ground that's more. Um, but that was an area where I didn't get the memo that I should be doing more listening than talking until after the fact. Thankfully, I didn't like, I didn't burn any bridges, but that, that was a, that was a little bit of a moment for me where it was like, God gave you two ears and one mouth. And, and just to also be able to say as a staff member, like, yeah, that, I kind of messed that up for you. I'm sorry about that. And like, I mean, I want your guidance on how to do this. Wow. At least you're able to reflect back and be like, okay, this is what I learned about myself. This is what I did wrong. These are the tangible things that I can change for next time. Well, the truth is, and I think this is consistent with the Yavna model. Like we, you know, we do see these leadership experiences as opportunities for personal growth. And that's no different than for the staff either. I think for a long time, I felt that I was a deeply extroverted person. And that was like a core part of who I was. And after doing all this traveling and all this talking, and I would sometimes have like 30 coffee dates in three days. And I would go home and I would be like, I need to curl up and it needs to be quiet and dark and everyone go away. And what I came to learn is like extroversion is a toolkit that I have that I use, but it's not necessarily that that doesn't mean that's who I am. And, th and those kind of learning moments are really um, always coming up as long as you're able to kind of be open and aware to them. 
Um, I think it's one of the things that keeps me and, and all of the staff, like we have a very youthful energy. I think it's one of the things that keeps us young is the feeling like we are always learning and we are always improving. And getting experience in this work just teaches you how to better navigate learning moments rather than getting rid of them. On that same idea of self-reflection, self-growth, things like that, what's a piece of advice that you would give your freshman self? And what's a piece of advice you'd give your senior self? <laughs> um, wow, where to begin? That's a, Those are great questions. To me in general, I would be like, just chill out a little bit. It's okay. I think I had a feeling in college, I'm probably not the only one who had this feeling, but I had a feeling in college that um, the stakes were so high. I mean, you live where you do everything, where you eat, where your friends are, where your work is, where your classes are. It's so immersive and it's so totalizing. And everybody is in common with all of those things that you do. You're around the same people all the time. And then at UMass, how much more so? Like the Jewish community, like we had like maybe 15, 20 people every week for Shabbat lunch. So it's like, we're not dealing with unlimited social capital here. The stakes can feel very high. And so I think just, just throughout all that, one of the things I would have like wanted myself to hear and really know is like as seriously as I take it and as I took it and as serious as it was, it's one stage of life. It's open and closed at the end and it it has its end and it kind of, you know, leads into the next stage very smoothly. So that's, that's something I think I would have said to myself in general. One of what are the things I would say to my freshman self? Wow. I think again, going back to, I kind of referenced it earlier, but this idea about first impressions and not letting a first impression decide what a community is like for you. I basically like distanced myself from Hillel in my entire freshman year because I didn't like what it was like at first. That's an extreme reaction. Not everybody has their reaction. Um, but just the idea that it takes time to really get to know what a community is like. And I had always loved community. I'd love the depth of community. I'd love the meaning that comes with community. Um, but I hadn't learned this yet. And I do look back at it and feel like I kind of missed a year. Like I did do things that I'm really proud of at UMass, especially within the Jewish community, which was really, I think, kind of the crown kind of jewel of what I felt like were my accomplishments and what I did. But I think I think I sometimes feel like if I had started a little bit earlier and if I had just been a little more open, not a little less afraid to put myself out there, I could have done even more. When it comes to my senior year self, wow. One of the things that I was always proud of myself for doing when I left UMass was really feeling like, because sometimes people leave a place and they feel like, you know, those are the golden years. It doesn't get better than that. And then also sometimes what comes with that feeling is like, it can never be as good as when I was there. I really didn't feel that. I really felt like things are going to get much better here. And I like laid the framework and things are going to improve. And I think that was, that, that turned out to be true. I mean, UMass is doing so, so amazingly. But I did a lot of that work informally. I think it would have been nice formally to think through a little bit more some of that, like, um, some of that mentorship that I wanted to do. Like, I didn't really leave a clear replacement when it came to, like, the chairing education stuff that I was doing, or, like, I was, you know, like a student representative on the Hillel Board of Directors. Like, I didn't really leave a replacement behind for that. Ironically, I did in other places, like in my student government work, I was very like particular about making sure that that happened and all that kind of stuff. But I think that's something that I wish that I had had a head start thinking about. And after leaving UMass, that was one of the things that, at, in Yavna that we ended up talking about a lot is how do we convey this message to upperclassmen about starting to transition the work that you do? And also like, taking distance from it earlier. Like it was hard for me to let go. And it was hard for me to start to pass the baton while I was still there. That's, a, that's something I think that could have set up UMass for even more success. Amazing. 
this is going to end the formal interview process point where, where really we thought of things that we wanted to specifically ask you. And then Zev and I decided that there are some questions that we're going to ask everyone that we have on. Hopefully. Who knows? It's episode one. You never know. Yeah. Right. I guess we don't want to make that type of commitment. But for now, that's what it is. So just know when you answer these questions, you are going to be the best person who has ever answered these questions before. And the worst. And the worst, right. <laughs> and the worst. Um, for context, that's something that Jeremy said to Zev and I before we started recording that this is going to be the best podcast he's ever been interviewed for and the worst because he's never done a podcast interview. <laughs> so we're, with those words of encouragement, who is your favorite Jewish leader in history? First person that popped up in your mind right now. I think for me, it's got to be, uh, I get a lot of inspiration from Abraham Joshua Heschel. He was a big part of my personal, like, um, religious journey that's like i i did a lot of work reading his stuff and that's what got me a lot like just inspired and more pulled into jewish stuff and also he did something that i'm not so good at which is he just worked on himself for a while before he started doing all this stuff like he wrote his first book at the age of 40 and then after that is when he started doing all this kind of like activism and all this amazing all this amazing stuff and it's something that i always am trying to bring myself back to is like how do i how do i make sure that i'm not doing these things at the expense of myself, but using them as opportunities where I'm also growing and getting better and able to do this work better. Jerry, a piece of Torah that changed your life? Is there one? Mm, yeah, <laughs> more than one. I thought there would be. <laughs> the Pizas Nerbi says, this is in Savaziru's, which is like his journal. I think I'm getting it right. Says, Chazal, there's a Mamar Chazal, which basically talks about the importance of listening to your friends. That's basically what he says. And the PSS Rebbe says, because I was very specific. They said, it's very important to listen to your friends and to be there for your friends. But what you say is less important than the fact that you listen to them. And this was a big piece for me when it came to how we're structuring, I mean, all this stuff. And I think it goes back to the story I told before about my kind of failures. It's easy when you have the mic and when you have the platform to just do the talking. But you have to remember that it's the act of listening that builds relationships. And it's the act of, of really hearing somebody that builds relationships. Um, I think I think one of the things that was basically one of my biggest contributions to Yavna was having all these coffee dates, which brought people into Yavna. But that wasn't because I had immense wisdom to share with them and I was the most important thing. It's because I just listened to them. And I would say at least 50% of those coffee dates were about people talking about something that they didn't really feel like necessarily somebody would listen to them about. That was very powerful. Thank you. And I think it was Zev that came up with that question. I was like, Jeremy's for sure going to have something to say about that. Okay. Our last question. What was your favorite class in college or the most impactful class? Oh, easily modern Japanese poetry. What? <laughs> you have to say more on that. Wow. That is out of left field. <laughs> well, why did you take it? And then also what? <laughs> I took it. I took it because it was the most random thing I can think of. I came into college with a bunch of credits for a number of reasons. I tried to hand them my yeshiva transcript and involuntarily the academic advisor laughed. And she goes, oh, I don't think we're going to be able to accept this. And I was like, okay. But I, but I ended up coming with a bunch of credits. And so I had a little bit of wiggle room and I saw this class and I was like, it's time to become extremely knowledgeable about something completely niche and random that has no impact on the world. It's time to learn something lishma. And so I took this modern Japanese poetry class. I was the only non-grad student. I was the only person who didn't speak Japanese. It was a visiting professor who was there for one semester. It's like it didn't exist, but it was the greatest thing ever because we would show up and we would just read Japanese poets from the post-Meiji era through 2011. 
And it was just, it was just amazing because there was, there's also deep Torah there. And like the idea that you just get to talk about, like, how does a national spirit emerge from a country? How do political, economic, whatever cultural events shape that kind of Ruach, which obviously Israel and all that kind of stuff is relevant. And also like just to love learning and what I was learning. And like that professor's written me recommendations. Like we're still in touch. His name is Scott. He's really great. And like, I, I always have loved that kind of stuff. So that was an easy one for me. Jeremy, it has been fantastic. You feel like the recurring word from our side has been wow. And we've been really amazed to have you and, and, and we're inspired by your authenticity, your your vulnerability, your your humility, your your integrity. It's been an absolute pleasure. We hope to have you on again and again. I just got the invite back and we haven't even this is this is before it's been released. Yes. This isn't even you can't edit this out now. <laughs> um, yeah. So just thank you so much to all our listeners out there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the, the first ever episode of a Yavna podcast. Hope you keep listening. Keep listening for uh, students coming on, talking about their initiatives, their growth through Yavna, what they're doing with Yavna. And thank you all.